Hello and welcome to 10 by 9, where nine people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. I'm Paul Dorn and this is the 10 by 9 podcast. I was back in my hometown Derry this week for an evening of stories on the theme Together. And what a wonderful evening it was. The event in the Nerve Centre, which is a fantastic place, was a partnership with the Integrated Education Fund. And there are three stories from that evening on this podcast for you. And if any of you happen to find a ginger bloke crying at the side of the road on your way home, I'll know that I failed this test. It was my daughter. She opened her arms out as if to give me a hug. I reached out, but my empty arms dropped like cold stones. The closest I came to dark and brooding was when he held his rosary beads during the sorrowful mysteries. Not the 80s action hero I was hoping for. A memorable evening indeed. So let's get stuck in and our first story appropriately comes from a first timer. Here's Paul Boner with his Together story. Scully, I shout upstairs to my flatmate. I'm going to write a story about how I became too fucked up to act and as you were key to my recovery, is it okay to mention you by name? I take his silence as a green light. Thanks, Scully, you're a pal. Acting's been my life. Treading those boards in plays, cradling a mic at stand-up gigs, even nights out on the town were a performance, all legitimate means of self-expression. Let me take you back to a clear and calm night in the year 2019. I had yet to meet Scully, and Corona was little more than a foul-tasting beer. Walking into a bank wearing a mask was deemed a criminal act, and the sweat trickling down my brow was not caused by a fever, but from the stage lights of the 8th annual comedy night at the Volcara Town Festival. Big festival in Volcara, ladies and gentlemen. Little did I know that it would be my last performance of any kind, for soon after, the world went arse over tit at the hands of a virus. The great dose, as I called it. The cruel irony is, I'm probably the only person I know not to have gotten COVID, yet the lockdown has had a profound effect on my health, in particular, my mental health. The details of how and why I spare you, for this is not a therapy session, although perhaps it may prove just as cathartic. No, this is a story of how I lost reality and how my friend, Scully, helped me get my act together. In the months and years after I cracked wise for the last time, I became inundated with diagnoses. In what might have been considered a purple patch, had I been a collector of ailments. Generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety, dysgraphia, and ADHD had been in my collection all my life, but I wasn't aware. I also picked up two new conditions. One was crisis hypertension, and the other 
a type of dissociation known as derealization. To steal a phrase familiar to Pokemon collectors, gotta catch them all, I felt I was well on my way. Derealization is what happens when fight and or flight are not options. Considering every human on the planet was confined to the house, flight, my survival instinct of choice, was sadly not available to me. And so, just like a hedgehog confronted by a curious 10-year-old boy, I resorted to freeze. And even though I often felt like curling into a ball and jabbing spikes into anyone who came within two meters of me, I hadn't quite evolved to be able to pull that off. And so this is where derealization comes in. Because the real world had become such a scary place. My brain, thinking it was doing me a favor, nope, it was not. My brain turns the world into a dreamlike state, just for me. It cocoons me in an imaginary bubble where everything beyond my immediate person seems to start it in a fog, unreal. It's as though I spent the last three years in a snow globe and sometimes something or someone comes along and shakes it and I become totally discombobulated. I don't know which way is up or down. I feel as though something terrible is about to happen. I become tearful and have trouble breathing. My senses become overstimulated. My heart races. Some of you might recognize these as symptoms of a panic attack. It passes and I get on with my day. I mean, what else can I do? That's derealization at its worst. Most of the time I was just on edge and afraid to go outside. So I didn't, except for brief trips to the shop across the road or to visit family. It took me a year to find the words to properly describe what, what I was experiencing to my GP. Relieved that I'd finally had a name for this terrible condition, I was happy to take whatever pills they had to secure this bad boy. Turns out there are none. So I got a cat. He was only two months old when he arrived in my life. His name, Scully. <laughs> when you are living on your own and too anxious to leave the house, then having a cat in your life is a great way to have social interaction. I got my little feline fur bag two years ago, and I have to say, Scully has been a lifesaver. It's like having a little flatmate that doesn't contribute to rent or bills, doesn't do his fair share of the dishes, and sponges off me constantly. But at least he chews with his fucking mouth closed, unlike others who otherwise fit that description. When restrictions eased and most people were going back to normal, I was still 
social distancing by virtue of living in a snow globe and not wanting to interact with anyone for fear they'd shake it up. Not leaving the house to avoid bumping into casual acquaintances was really, really bad for my mental, mental health. So, eventually, I did what I've always done. Flee. But for the first time on this occasion, it was actually practical. Well, it would have been had I not a cat to move also. And I don't drive, so I made the journey from West Donegal to Derry on a bus with Scully in his carrier on my lap and he didn't shut up for the entire one and a half hour journey. From time to time he'd managed to pop his tiny black and white head out of the top of the carrier and I'd have to gently push him back in like a really crappy game of whack-a-mole. But it was worth it. The anonymity of the city meant I could walk about without bumping into people who would shake my globe. I felt a f sense of freedom not felt since before the pandemic. And a year after restrictions of movement had eased for most people, I had now eased my own restrictions. I've since found a job in Derry and regularly attend peer support groups all of which helped distract from the unreality of derealization. Thankfully, I don't have to go home to an empty house. And there's nothing that quite induces a sense of reality more than sitting at home, stroking the cat on my lap while we watch our favorite TV show. You guessed it, The X-Files. <laughs> Getting my act together is an ongoing battle. One which I am happy to say I am winning. The big test was whether I was able to go back to performing in front of a crowd again after all these years. And if any of you happen to find a ginger bloke crying at the side of the road on your way home, I'll know that I failed this test. However, if I'm standing up here on the stage of the nerve center, then it's safe to say that I've passed the test which I've set for myself. And that finally, after all this time, and with the help of my cat, I am getting my act together. This, this is my act. Uh, Paul, I think it's fair to say you passed with flying colours. Well done. Congratulations. You really did, Paul. Yeah, you really did. Thanks so much, and I hope you'll be back with us again at 10 by 9 before long. And if, like Paul, you have a story to tell, but, like Paul, are a little nervous or shy, then get in touch at the 10 by 9 website, and I promise I'll do my best to make it happen for you. Okay, let's get on to our second story, and she first came to 10 by 9 when we were on Zoom during the pandemic, which is somewhat appropriate for this story. Here's the wonderful Mary Johnson. My husband and I were very excited, if a bit confused, when my son suggested a meeting on Zoom. I had heard people talk about Zoom, but I'm not that well up on technology. So occasionally, my 16-year-old granddaughter, Molly, would try to teach me. But that was before the pandemic, of course. 
Now we've been isolated for months, like most of the country, partly because of our ages as well as some health issues. Luckily, our daughter lived nearby, and she called over frequently with the grandchildren, but they would stand in the conservatory and blow kisses through misty glass, partly blocking my view as they reached out for a hug. But still, I had felt their presence when they shouted words of love to me. The rest of the family were a bit scattered. Some lived quite a distance away, so hadn't been able to visit us for months. We spoke on the telephone frequently, but I longed to see their faces and feel their hugs. So I was excited when my son rang me from Manchester and explained about the Zoom meeting. We will be able to see you and Dad and have a nice chat. You mean you're coming to visit us from Manchester? I thought people weren't allowed to travel during this pandemic. I was confused and still struggled with the idea until my granddaughter again enlightened me, telling me that it would be a virtual meeting. A virtual meeting? I shook my head. Will they come here and talk to us like you do? She laughed at that. Granny, this is how it works. You'll be on the computer with Grandad, and we'll be like us all being together in the same room. We'll be able to see each other, and we can talk to can talk to everyone. So you don't all live together? I was confused. So how could that happen? I scratched my head and said to my husband, we're meeting the family tonight on Zoom. Zoom, he said, as he poured himself a glass of whiskey. I tried to explain to him from the little I understood myself. You'll need to shave and put on a clean shirt, I said. <laughs> You mean to tell me they'll be able to see what I'm wearing? He looked puzzled. Well, that's what they tell me, I said, confused about it myself. Then off he went to the bedroom. I decided to put on a nice dress myself and put on some makeup. I hadn't bothered with makeup for weeks. Sure, who would see me now anyway in this lockdown? Sure, couldn't even go to the shops. Thank God for the young lads from the GAA for delivering the shopping. Anyway, I felt a spring in my step as I walked towards the bathroom. I'd see my family that I haven't seen since Christmas. So put on the makeup and the new dress. I look all right, I thought, when I'd done the makeup. Although I did struggle a bit with the dress, the zip on the dress. I'd eaten far too much during this lockdown and probably drank a little bit too much red wine as well, I thought. Then my husband appeared. He was all dressed up in his best suit, as if he was going to a wedding. It didn't have to go to that extreme. I only meant that you needed to smarten yourself up a bit, like shave and brush your hair. You're all dolled up yourself, he looked at me, with surprise on his face, as if he hadn't seen me before. Oh, none of my clothes fit me, I said. I put on too much weight as I pulled on my tummy. It's all that wine you've been drinking since we've been locked in. Then, as if to retract his insult, he said quickly, that's nice perfume you're wearing, and you look very nice. <laughs> then my phone beeped. It was my son. I sent a link to your computer, Mum. 
Just click on it and you're away. Way where, I mumbled. <laughs> anyway, I clicked on the link and prided myself on getting so far. Me that didn't ever do it before. A message appeared on the screen. Your host is waiting. Who was my host, I wondered. I clicked again and glanced at the kitchen door, expecting someone to be there. <laughs> then on the screen, I could see my grandchildren. They were all waving and blowing kisses. I'd become so choked up at seeing their faces after such a long absence that the tears were blinding me and I couldn't speak for a few seconds. Hi, Mum. Imagine seeing you on Zoom. You look very well. Makeup too? It was my daughter. She opened her arms out as if to give me a hug. I reached out, but my empty arms dropped like cold stones. Ah, oh, my hair's a mess. It looks like a bism, I protested. Your hair is white, Granny, my youngest grandson shouted. Oh, well, darling, sure, I'm, I've not been able to go to the hairdressers for ages. They're all closed, you see. Our school's been closed, too. We're having to stay at home. It's brilliant, <laughs> he said, thumbs in the air. You're looking very smart, Dad. My daughter looked at her smartly dressed father. Are you going to a wedding, she teased him. <laughs> it was your mother. She told me to smarten myself up for your visit, he nodded towards me. There was more laughter. I didn't want you all to see, think that we were letting you down in front of people, I said. Because there's only us to see you, see, Mum. I was confused again. I thought it might, I might be on the telly. <laughs> <laughs> How are you coping, Dad? She asked. I'm sick of this lockdown. Can't even get out for a pint. Hopefully it'll be over soon, Catherine replied. Teaching from home, she's a teacher. <laughs> Teaching from home is no fun, especially with these two. But I have to help. She patted them on the head, the two children. Then my student, the granddaughter, appeared on the screen. How are you two dealing with this COVID? I hope you're following the rules. Are you washing your hands enough, granddad? The hands are worn off me. He held them up for her to see. It's so lovely to see you, Kira. But I reached my arms out, but they fell flat once again. How's college, I said. I hope you're not being too lonely up there in Dublin, I blubbered. The worst thing is not being able to travel home, she blew me a kiss. I hope it'll be over soon. You should soon be, be getting your booster. You've had the first vaccine, haven't you? And her granddad said, do you think it works at all? There's a lot of people dying, you know. It all went quiet then. Suddenly another face appeared on the screen. I got up to greet him. It was our son from Boston. How did you get here so quickly, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you wouldn't be allowed to fly. I was caught again, forgetting that he was not really here in the flesh. They all began to laugh at me. And my grandson son again said, Don't be silly, Granny. This is just a virtual visit. He knew, he shouted out. He seemed to understand the expression more than I did. How are you, Mum? My son reached out his arm and I jumped up. 
I nearly knocked the computer over as I reached for him. <laughs> Before once again I woke up to reality, remembering that my son was just a face on a computer screen. He was untouchable for now. I scratched my head. My family were chatting away to each other now. They hadn't seen each other either during the lockdown and were keen to catch up on what was happening in each other's life. This is lovely, I said, having you all together, just like Christmas. And then I remembered that I had some ice cream in the freezer. I always kept some in the freezer when the kids would come to visit. Who would like a chuck ice? I got up to go to the kitchen. We're getting mixed up, Mum, they all laughed. We are not really there. Then my daughter said, you'll have to get used to these Zoom meetings, Mum. It might be only, only time you'll be able to see, her, see us. She looked serious. I knew that. But it was becoming mesmerized. And I wanted to cry. I wanted to hold each one, to put my arms around them, to hug them. But that was not allowed with this pandemic. I didn't know when I would ever be able to see them again or to do that again. I sat down in horror, dwelling on it all. And then someone announced, this is, all, this is up, time is up, we'll have to finish. Then one after another they were gone, leaving only the echo of their farewell words of love, leaving us staring at the cold blank screen I looked around the room. It was cold and silent, just the two of us alone once again. I had felt their presence in my loved ones for a short time, if only on a screen. So it gave, but it gave me some comfort to see that they were all safe and healthy, at least for now. And it gave me courage to hold it together until we were released from this lockdown when I could give them a real mother's love. I did learn a wee bit from the Zoom. I learned a few, ex a few new expressions from my grandson, who was only a nine-year-old. So that's my story. Thanks so much, Mary. What a gorgeous story. It was all so recent, and yet it feels like a bad dream from a long time ago. Thank you. You were great. Ten by Nine is always free and always will be, and at the start of each month we get a small amount of money via Patreon to help cover some of our outgoings, and it's very welcome. If you'd like to become a patron or just make a one-off donation, Check out the link on our website, 10by9.com. We are very grateful to everyone who has supported us. But more importantly, we want you to just sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Okay, here's our third and final story, and he's become a fairly regular fixture when we visit Derry. And you can hear other stories from him on earlier podcasts. Here's Mark McGrath. Every 80s kid had their action hero. Mine wasn't Rambo, Rocky, or Arnie. It was Strider, Ranger of the North in the old Lord of the Rings cartoon. Strider was a brawny warrior sitting in a back room in a busy shire room. His eyes burned out of a visor of darkness where a shadowy hood fell on his face. Carefree life was a muffled world away behind the old oak door of the bar. 
the hobbits entered his world, where he lay claim as their protector, standing up in his hooded cape, hand on the sword at his side. That sword he would use to slay the orcs, shadowy creatures painted into the cartoon, a horde incapable of proper definition, outside of glowing white teeth and glaring eyes. Strider was a man who understood that a war for the souls of men was coming. He felt it in his bones. That opening image of his face in the shadows was a few seconds long. I've never forgotten it. I remember getting up from watching this epic and going out to tell my dad. I did what all boys do, scan my role model for any 80s hero potential. Dad didn't have a cape or a hood or a sword. He had a beige cardigan. He was in a study listening to one of his How to Build Self-Confidence cassette tips. He had books about the same, how to get through life, dealing with feelings that threatened to overwhelm him. He told mum every day that he loved her. He lived for God and Jesus. Dad had a square build, but he shrugged forward with soft blue eyes, and he was painfully shy. The closest Dad came to dark and brooding was when he held his rosary beads during the sorrowful mysteries. Not, not the 80s action hero I was hoping for. As I hit my teens, my mental health deteriorated. I became convinced that I was so repulsively ugly that people shouldn't have to look at me. There was a horde of orcs in my head telling me I was weak, laughing at me with glaring eyes and glowing white teeth, manifesting my inadequacy and failure to become a man. Dad wasn't able to steer my ship to safety. When he found my suicide note, he stood in the growing dark of our back room, waiting for hours for me to come home. He didn't cut a brawny silhouette. There was no sword at his side. His shoulders were slumped painfully forward in the shadows and his voice was breaking. You know, Mark, if you feel like you can't talk to me or your mum. His words trailed off. He didn't know what to say. I felt embarrassed for writing it out. It's grand, don't worry about it. We stood for a moment in silence as my words trailed off. I was an extension of his fear and anxieties. I had no answers either, so I went to bed. The awkward silences came to head when I was 15. I was done struggling with the glaring eyes of my loathsome reflection in the mirror. I roared at mum instead. Dad stepped in and tried to stop me. I looked at him, shoulders finally pulled back, soft blue eyes with the briefest flash of anger in them. I punched him in the face. I helped my dad. He recoiled in shock, then he turned quickly away, not sure what to do. My anger evaporated. I felt like an even bigger piece of shit, which was really saying something. Moment after dad in tears, I sat down and began to cry. Jesus, I cried hard. I cried for a moment dad, he didn't deserve any of this. Half an hour later, mum came on. She sat beside me and she hugged me. I looked up at her, told her that I wished I didn't have Dad's anxiety, that it was eating me alive. Why can't Dad be strong? Why can't they show me how to be strong? Mum was unusually calm, but she spoke in a way that felt like fear and love were in the balance. It made me look up. Mark, you'll meet someone someday, and you'll feel about them the way I feel about your dad. All I could think about was my movie heroes, the guys who carried swords, who faced down gunmen, who dragged themselves to their feet with a chest full of arrows to fight orcs with glaring eyes and glowing teeth. The only attacks down on you were his bouts of anxiety. Mark, look at me. 
You know your dad and I were students in Belfast. Did he play Irish trad and guitar? We were walking home to our grannies one evening after a jam session when a car pulled up beside us. A gun was pointed at us and a shot was fired. Your dad grabbed me, pushed me to the ground and spread himself out over me. Four more shots were fired. The car sped off and I started screaming. Your dad tried to stand up, tried to help me up. He asked if I was okay but his head fell forward and he collapsed. Blood was trickling down both sides of his neck. A bullet went on one side of your dad's neck and out the other. Doctor said it must have spine by a quarter of an inch. Your dad's alive today by the finest margin. What happened had an effect on him, Angel, but it never stopped him. It never held him back. That hard truth hit me with a far more honest punch than I'd thrown at my dad. I was suddenly able to see beyond the cupboard full of anti-anxiety tapes. I looked beyond the slumping shoulders to a still, soft, blue-eyed smile. I remembered him rehearsing over and over for school plays, getting up on a stage in front of over a hundred people and performing. How he would get him from teaching every day and the phone would never stop, people needing his help as a union man, union president eventually. Suddenly he didn't need a cape and a hood. Costumes were for impressionable kids. Da wore his heart in his sleeve because he didn't feel the need to project anything other than who he was. Real. And real sometimes had its doubts. Part of the human condition. I see a lot of internet men talking about what it takes to be an alpha, a sigma. How to manipulate women into bed, how to own bitches and bling. An emotional chasm of material success at a vacuous level. Glaring eyes and glowing white teeth. Somehow we've glorified the orcs and their primitive grunts as they make noise for money, oblivious to the much-needed realism of a sometimes wavering voice of resolve. You cannot know what it means to overcome without experiencing the obstacles of trauma, anxiety, depression, fear. Bravery is a natural byproduct of all of them. Snake oil salesmen like the Red Pull community crave the kind of growth from adversity that men like my dad grew up with. Da held his shit together through love. He was our protector in a way that didn't involve putting other people down. He took a bullet for the woman he loved. He turned from me when I hit him because he could only see himself as a human shield and not a weapon of destruction. So imagine a world of people like my dad. That's a lot of beige cardigans. <laughs> but it's also a lot of human shields forming a phalanx together keeping the weapons of self-destruction and glaring white teeth of purging on each other, impotent on the periphery. Our swords are the anti-anxiety tapes streamed on Spotify these days. Our weapons against the orcs of self-doubt are the hours of self-talk, the sometimes brutal effort of just crawling through the days where we are convinced we don't deserve to live. Some days heroes just survive, but they slowly grow resolve in the shadows until all there is left is a cupboard full of anti-anxiety tapes gathering dust, replaced by the voice of a son telling his dad that he's a hero of this story. Thanks so much, Mark. I hope your dad enjoys hearing the story. What a hero indeed. And Mark sent me a lovely email afterwards, which I'll share with you. He said... 
Just want to say thanks again for the opportunity. I love 10 by 9. It's such a beautiful concept. It really hit home through so many stories on Thursday, how much of a cathartic experience it is. You've given me the very unique gift of getting to pay homage to mum and dad before an audience. It's hard to put into words what that means, and I'll always be honoured and nervous when I get an opportunity to speak. Thanks a million. Thanks a million too to you, Mark. It really means a lot. And that is it for this podcast. Check out all the 10 by 9 upcoming dates on our website, which includes some special events over the coming months. And keep in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Maybe think about giving the podcast a review or a rating at a podcast app. It's very helpful if you can. And tell as many people as you can about 10 by 9 and the 10 by 9 podcast. Thanks to everyone who makes 10 by 9 happen. The wonderful people of the Nerve Centre in Derry, especially Glenn and Andrew and the lovely people at the Integrated Education Fund. Thanks too to the gorgeous and generous Derry audience. They were a laugh. All our amazing storytellers, of course, but especially Paul Boner, Mary Johnson and Mark McGrath. I'm Paul Dorn and I'll be back with another podcast soon. But for now, bye-bye.